Thank you, preacher. Thank you so much, church, for uh, being such a blessing to our family. We do, uh, we do really love y'all, and we appreciate your prayers, your support, your fellowship, uh, the kindness that y'all express to us, uh, even when we're not here. Uh, we're so thankful, and uh, we really do appreciate y'all more than, more than you'll know. In, in heaven, you'll know how much we appreciate you. Uh, I think words are pretty hard to come by at times, so, uh, but I do just want to say thank you so much for being such a blessing to us. And I uh, just want just to let you know that we do think of you throughout the year when we're not here or the times we're not here, and we do pray for you folks. Uh, you do mean an awful lot to us. And so uh, we, uh, we appreciate your support. Uh, the Lord has kept us really busy, and we're thankful for that. Amen. Uh, you know, it's, there's, there, there is uh, no lack of work in, in, the, in the work of the Lord, uh, and there's a lot to do. Uh, I was sharing with someone, uh, I forget who fellowship with so many folks here, but um, earlier this year, we were with a church planner down in Kentucky. Uh, well, actually, he's in Tennessee. He's on the border. His house is in Kentucky. But anyways, uh, they, meet in, they meet in a shed right now. You see, it's not like this everywhere. Not everyone's got this, and this isn't normal. Uh, he's, uh, how old do you think he's? Late 60s? He's probably in his late 60s, about 11 years ago. His minivan, he got in a head-on collision, and his motor, motor got put in his lap and broke every bone in his body just about. Uh, but uh, so they decided to go to a small town in the middle of nowhere and start over, start again, amen? After all that, most would quit, amen? Praise God for men that are men that like to show yourself a man, amen? And uh, so they don't want to go into debt, Amen. Anyways, <laughs> so they were given property, and he said, you know what, there's some Amish folks live around here. They make these really nice sheds. They're about 14 feet wide, about 40 feet long. So he bought himself a shed, and uh, New Song Baptist Church, praise the Lord. Amen. And uh, then, he, then he heard about our ministry. He bought another shed and wants to make it a fellowship hall. And he said, Brother Perkins, would you come preach revival for us? We need revival. And I said, oh, brother, let's, let's pray about it and see what God does. So we got there, and he says, yeah, I need you to build a deck, amen? And so I was building a deck during the day and preaching at night, and praise the Lord, God did a great work, amen? And uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a deck there that looks fine, but the, the better, the greater work was what the Holy Spirit did in people's lives, amen? And so well, we're thankful for that. Y'all had a part in that. Y'all y'all were, were backing us to do that, and we really do appreciate that. Uh, I could go on and on. Uh, there's so much. Uh, there's so much. And, um, you know, some of, the girl, some of the songs the girls sang, um, boy, was there ever a time, amen? Uh, there never was a time when God wasn't almighty, wasn't there. But taste and see that the Lord is good, you know. Can I tell you, just because you come to church doesn't mean you've tasted and seen. Um, we come to church and we get a hint and we get an idea. And then we wonder why some are just so, well, well he gets kind of excited about that stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. If, if you had been there on a Mount of Transfiguration, you would have gotten excited too. You know, before you criticize Peter for thinking he should build three tabernacles, amen, uh, you weren't there. Uh, I don't know what I'd get if I got that excited. See Moses, Elijah, and Jesus in his glorified form. Woohoo! I don't know. I might get excited about that. I know. I know. The real reserved would just go, hmm, this is fascinating, Lord. Hmm. 
Let us study this and make sure we know what we're seeing here. But you know, they come to church, you come to church and you sit there and you hear the preaching and you get so close to the real thing. But then when the battle comes, you don't grab for the real thing. You don't grab, you don't, as I've preached about and taught through the week, you don't default to the word of God. You default to self and the world. Brother, brother Josh Stahl, Amen. Not Stahl, that's Josh Stahl. I said Josh Stahl, that's not Josh Stahl. It's Josh Furs, your grandson, amen. Brother Josh, he doesn't like scones, and I'm not picking on Josh. He doesn't like scones. Well, he said that, they were playing games one day, and he said that, and the girl, my daughters were like, "Ah, you've never had my dad's scones. My dad was a professional baker, and he makes the best cranberry walnut stones that have ever existed on the planet. And Josh is like, whatever, I've had scones before. Oh. And so my girls came home and they're like, Dad, you gotta make scones. I'm like, huh? This is something we do in the big kitchen at Christmas time, right? What in the trailer, really? And they're like, yeah. And he says, she said, this is what he said. And I'm like, oh wait. <laughs> he didn't like them. I, I made scones. Guess what? Josh likes scones. <laughs> you know why? Because he had some of the real thing. Amen? He had some of the real thing. Years ago, I was witnessing, I was out uh, door knocking with my, with my pastor uh, for our dad up in the state of Massachusetts. Paul was home on furlough. We were down visiting. I think it was Thanksgiving time. And we're out knocking on doors. And uh, we come to this this apartment building, and we start, we go in, and we see the second floor door open, and <laughs> you think, I'm crazy, get out there soul with him, <laughs> and uh, he makes me nervous, <laughs> so uh, we, we go, he, he just starts going up, I'm like, well, I'm following him, and so I, we head up, and you, you can probably guess what the stairwell smelled like, it was a substance that is uh, illegal in many states, legal in some. But anyhow, what they were doing wasn't legal. And, he wa- and, and, and the door's open, so he walks in and he stands there and he looks and here's this living room with a bunch of teenagers in there, out of their minds. And he looks over and there's about a 50, 45, 50-year-old guy sitting over there because he's the cool one. He's the leader of the teenagers because he's got quite a life going on, you know. I'm like, a loser anyways. And so he's like, my, my brother at that time says, you talk to them, I'm going over here. I'm like, we didn't even knock nothing. He just goes in. I'm like, okay. Hi, guys, what's going on? I'm a stranger. <laughs> anyway, so I'm listening to him. I'm listening to him, and he's over there, and this guy's got tattoos everywhere. He's wearing one of them wife beater shirts, and he's just, and so as, as pastor starts witnessing to this guy, he gets about five minutes in, and he says, you know what, preacher, with all due, result, uh, with all due respect, he said, I tried that Jesus stuff once, and it didn't work for me. And I didn't miss a beat. So you know, Paul? I'm like, <laughs> he says, with all due respect, that's a lie. You never tried him because you don't try Jesus. You either get him or you don't. Yeah. Woo! You know what? A bunch of you are trying religion. You're coming with mom and dad. You're coming with, a, with wifey. 
and you come to the church and you're just trying it. And you're just trying it. And you're like, well, it's not really working for me. You know, the life preserver don't work unless you actually put it on. <laughs> Amen. The deodorant don't work when it stays in the medicine cabinet. You actually got to take it out of the medicine cabinet and put it on and apply it. Amen. That's Christianity, folks. You got to apply it in your daily life. And until you submit and surrender to do that, you're just trying it and you're going to be like Josh up there going, I don't like scones. They're nasty. And meanwhile, he's missing one of the nicest treats you could ever have for the morning with your coffee. Amen. Or your tea if you're Sarah. Amen. Anyways, folks, we got to just stop trying God and we got to get on, get on board here because the decisions we're making, they're leaving a legacy behind. It doesn't matter your age. It seems like just 40 years ago, I was playing Samuel in the school play. Samuel, here am I, Lord. Then it seems like just 20 years ago, I was Steve Perkins sitting in the pew, and God was saying, you're going to preach. Here am I, Lord. You don't know what God's going to do, and you don't know what age it's going to be. You don't know when he's going to start working. But the decisions we make are going to start leaving a legacy behind. And I chose to surrender to the call of the Lord, to surrender to the will of the Lord, and to surrender to his way. I lived a lot of my life in church and didn't do that. All of my teen years, basically. Maybe 13 I was doing all right, but I wouldn't even count it a value now. Most of my teen years, I sat in church three times a week. I wasn't there. I didn't like scones. Because I hadn't tried the real thing. Hmm? At some point in time, We've got to stop playing games with God. Stop playing church and get real. Amen. And it is going to leave a legacy. We're going back to Proverbs. We're going to finish chapter 2 tonight. And in Proverbs chapter 2, again, this is a book of wisdom. Aside from Jesus Christ, the wisest man that ever lived, wrote an instruction manual to his son who was going to be a leader. You want to be a leader? Read the book of Proverbs. Just in case you don't get that, that's every male and every female that's under the sound of my voice. Because moms, you lead them children, and dads, you lead that family, your leaders. Hello. It's a book of wisdom, and that wisdom is for leadership. And I don't care if it's about being an electrician or being an army corpsman or being an Air Force pilot or about being a medic, or whether it's about being a pastor, or just being a godly mom, or, or uh, a homeschooling mom. It, it, listen, it doesn't matter. The wisdom is there for what we need. And we've looked at our learning, and our learning, there's so much about it that we covered up there, but listen, we control it. And we decide what we're going to allow in, and what we're going to allow influence us. There's a reason why all the Instagrammers and, and people on YouTube and stuff, they're called influencers. They're professional influencers. I'm like, they're dumb as a box of rocks. What are they doing on there? They actually make money doing that? Yeah, they make money doing that somehow. It's twisted. 
I get it. There's some neat stuff on there, and there's a few things you could actually learn that might be of some value. But you've got to wade through a bunch of garbage to get it. And we choose what we're allowing in, and we choose what we're going to learn from. And that learning then becomes our living because we then live it out and we act upon it. And what we've lived out is then going to leave an heritage. And tonight we're going to look at our leaving, which would be our heritage. And in chapter 2 of Proverbs, chapter 2 of Proverbs, beginning in verse 10, the word of God says, when. This is after the fact. If it happens, understand when and if they're connected. We've heard a lot of ifs and a lot of testimonies about if. When's the same way. When are you going to get right with God? Amen. When are you going to get right with God? When are you going to stop messing around, stop playing with life, stop playing with your eternity, stop playing with how you're influencing your friends and your loved ones, and when are you going to get right with God? Amen. That word, when's a good word. When wisdom entereth into thine heart, and knowledge is pleasant unto thy soul, discretion shall preserve thee, understanding shall keep thee, to deliver thee from the way of the evil man, from the man that speaketh froward things, who leaveth the paths of uprightness, to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice to do evil, and delight in the frowardness of the wicked, whose ways are crooked, and they froward in their paths, to deliver thee from the strange woman, even from the, uh, from the stranger which flattereth with her words, which forsaketh the God of her youth and forgetteth the covenant of her God. For her house inclineth unto death and her paths unto the dead. None that go unto her return again, neither take they hold of the paths of life. That thou mayest walk in the way of good men and keep the paths of righteousness. For the upright shall dwell in the land and the perfect shall remain in it. But the wicked shall be cut out, uh, cut, cut off from the earth and the transgressors shall be rooted out of it. And Father, help us, I pray, Lord, as we realize even in our youth, we're leaving a legacy. We're leaving a legacy which is going to be in part a foundation for our future. And Father, it's also going to be a legacy that those younger siblings and friends and church members that come behind us are going to see. And some will choose to follow the good and the right, while some will choose to follow the path of the scorner. Father, I pray you'd help us tonight. Strengthen my voice. Help me to be clear. But God, I pray tonight your spirit would be welcome. I pray your spirit would move in power. And Father, I pray you'd speak to each and every heart, each and every person that's here. And Father, help us, please. <coughs> As we look into your word, please work. Please speak. Help us to obey. Help us to yield. And we'll thank you for all you do in Jesus' name. Amen. What we're leaving behind. Everyone has a heritage. Everyone leaves a heritage. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're the youngest or the oldest. It doesn't matter you're in between. I'm the youngest of four boys. My, we're all three years apart. My brother Johnny, he's sitting in a jail cell, a prison cell this evening. And has been there for some time and will be there for some time. And... Um, I remember, oh, it's been, it's been 12, it's been 14 years or better. It's probably been 14 years ago. He sat on, sat in the passenger seat of my vehicle in Haverhill, Massachusetts, 
and he looked over at me with tears in his eyes and he said, I just wish I could have what you have. I said, you can. You know you can. He says, I don't think I can. I said, Johnny, you're playing games with God. Dad's taught us the way of truth. Dad's taught us the what's right. You know what's in the book. You've heard the teaching. I said, Johnny, you're, you've always been smarter than me, and you know more Bible than me. Don't tell me you can't have what I have. He's got a legacy he's leaving behind, and heritage he's leaving behind. He's showing me how to stay out of jail. I joke a lot, a lot about it with my older brothers, especially at the home church. Because my older brother's my pastor. My other brother, he's my pastor. And my older brothers taught me a lot about what not to do. Amen. They left me quite an heritage of what not to do. Amen. I won't go deep into that tonight, but woo. Anyways, I saw them get whooped for things that, hallelujah. But I'm just telling you, good or bad, you're leaving an heritage. You're leaving a legacy behind. There's something that people are going to look at your life and they're going to say, this was them. And that's how they were. And Solomon writes to Rehoboam and he, he's telling him about wisdom and he's really just getting started. We only were looking at the first two chapters of the book. I mean, there's so much more to go and I'm sure there's so much Solomon taught Rehoboam that wasn't written in the book. But he's trying to give his son's lessons and in this I believe he's speaking about because when you come to the end of the chapter, he talks about for the upright shall dwell in the land. He's talking about a future context and he says in verse 22, but the wicked shall be cut out. There's a good and a bad. There's a right and a wrong. There's a good and evil, however you want to put it. But there's going to be consequences. There's going to be results. And folks, we know those results lead a legacy behind us when it comes to our family what legacy are you are you leaving behind I know I've shared it with you before but my dad is still leaving a legacy for his grandchildren my dad's been dead since December 2nd 2001 yet he lives eternally in heaven amen he's up there with all kinds of folks and friends now and most importantly with the Lord but his earthly life ended December 2nd, 2010. And he being dead, yet speaketh. And you know what? Here's an interesting thing. My dad's legacy is influencing people he never met. What's our ministry? I help church planners. <laughs> My dad was a church planner for 48 years. You know what I tell him? What I learned from dad. <laughs> it's not real hard. It's not real complicated. I'm just being honest with you. I'm a simple guy, and I thank God he made it simple for me. I don't, I don't need the big complexity, the big thinking, the big doctorate degree and all that. Listen, it's simple. I watched Dad's life. I know what Dad did. I saw the doctrine, the Word of God. He taught me. I go out, and I help other guys. And I've helped so many other men out there across this country and strengthened them and helped them to continue on and stay where they're at and stay right and stand true and all these things. And the credit eventually goes back to Christ, but it goes through my Dad's leg and he never even met them. You realize your children and your grandchildren, they're going to bump elbows with people that you'll never meet. Will you be influencing them too for the good or for the evil? For the right or for the wrong? We never think in these terms. I shared with you last time I preached here that, listen, none of my daughters are married. 
I'm still trying to raise them and live in such a way so that I'll have an influence on my grandchildren. There are none yet. I'm not a grandpa, amen? And there's nowhere inside I'm gonna be, amen? I know people think I'm 100 years old and all, and young people really, they're, you know, all that gray hair you got, amen? <sighs> amen, don't laugh too hard. I started graying in high school, so it's just the way it is. They think it's distinguished. They always thought I was older than I was. Amen. They still think I'm 50-something. I'm not 50-something. But that's okay. I'll take it as a compliment. Amen? But I'm just saying, I'm trying to raise my children, not just trying to get through their 18 years. Just get through their 20 years. Just get through this. No, no, no. Someday, they may get married, and they may have children. Then what am I going to do? I didn't plan for that. Right, because people don't plan to fail, but they fail to plan. And right now, you're sitting there, you're like, well, I'm not even married yet, so grandkids, what are you talking about? You better start working now. You better start working on it now, because the decisions you make today before you're ever married are going to affect your grandchildren. Huh? I'll give you a decision my dad made. My dad made this decision in early 1960s. In the early 19, no, I'm sorry, early 1950s. Ooh, I was off by a decade. In the early 1950s, my dad decided, I'm not going to say no to mom when she asked me to do something right. So mom said, would you read your Bible every night? Yes, ma'am. He is lost. He didn't want anything to do with God. But his parents were godly. And they asked mom, grandma asked him to read his Bible every night. He would drop it on his bed and it would flop open to the 23rd Psalm and he'd stand there and quote it, close it and set it down. And that way he'd never lie to mom. Okay? You think, what's the big deal? Well, a few years later, oh, right around 10 years later, about 1962 in that spring, dad came home from the Navy, <coughs> lost as a goose in a hailstorm, worldly and ungodly as they get, Grandma and Grandpa had the evangelist over for dinner, preaching a meeting, and the evangelist looked at Dad and said, Hey, Don, why don't you come to church tonight? It'd be a real blessing to me if you'd come, be my friend, come to church. And my dad said, No, I don't want to go to church tonight. And then Grandma looked over at him and said, Oh, Donnie, why don't you come to church tonight? And he said, Yes, Mom. (laughs) Dad went to church that night, and when Brother Knickerbocker preached on Mephibosheth, Dad got saved and called to preach that night. That decision he made in his late teen years and or in his early teen years that went through his, into his 20s is still having an impact on his grandchildren. Hello? See, it's so hard. We live within time, and we can't see what the future holds. We don't know what those results are going to be. You've decided it's okay to lie to mom and dad. Yeah, 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 I read my Bible today. Yeah, and that's going to have an impact on your grandkids someday, and you got no idea. That, that decision to think it's okay to lie to mom and dad could wind your grandkids up in a prison cell. You have no idea, and you're playing games with God. The Word of God shows us He is eternal, He's infinite, He lives outside the realm of time, and he can already see the consequences of the decisions we're making. Some of you folks in here are still struggling. You're adults. You've got kids. Listen, you're still struggling to get real with God. You know that you're still dealing with consequences of decisions you made in your younger years. 
You're still dealing. Yeah, 1 John 1, 9's there. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Great. But that doesn't say the consequences are removed. You're still going to deal with the consequences. Those consequences are going to be there. I'm still dealing with consequences of decisions I made when I was backslidden away from God. Back in, the, back in the mid-1990s, I made decisions and did things. I'm still suffering the consequences of those things. I still pray, God, let there be a small harvest this time. You reap what you sow. Well, I can pray for a small harvest. Amen. Hello. You got no idea, folks. You're playing games. And you're not thinking about the legacy. You're not thinking about the future and what it's going to look. What is it going to look like 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now? Solomon, I think, was wise. Solomon saw decisions his dad made, good and bad. And Solomon warned his son. And I want you to see the first things in verses 10 and 12, the deliverance that's available to us. In verses 10 and 12, he says, when wisdom entereth into thine heart and knowledge is pleasant unto thy soul, discretion shall preserve thee, understanding shall keep thee. See, there's a deliverance. We can be delivered from the heartache and the heartbreak. Listen, it's, it's like what so many Christian young people don't know. Uh, listen, you've been saved at a young age. You ought to praise God. You got saved from drunkenness and from debauchery and from garbage and from being a heroin addict. You've been saved from that and you don't even realize it yet. Well, I never did that stuff. Right, because you got saved. You could have been doing that, but you got saved. So God saved you from that. You don't realize you got saved from those things. You got spared. It's like the, uh, the Epilies, I think it is. They, they have a song, you know, and, and Brother Epilee, when he was younger, he sang a song about the things he missed out on growing up in church. Yeah, he missed out on heartache and heartbreak. He, he missed out on mom and dad yelling and screaming at each other. He missed out on divorce, and he missed out on drunkenness, and he missed, missed out on, oh yeah, I missed out on a bunch of stuff because I grew up in church. Yeah, you missed out on a lot of bad so you train your mind how to think. It's that learning process we talked about and all the stuff we allow to influence. And you train your mind how to view church, to view the work of God. And you say, oh, I'm missing out. Well, you can't do this and you can't do that. Yeah, did you see the statistics this morning? Follow after God. You can't get divorced. Amen. <laughs> Woo! It's a pretty, pretty good thing you can't do. Did you know there's things God can't do? Did you know that? We use it as a public evangelism tool all the time. Three things God can't do. Number one, God can't lie. Right? Number two, God can't ever go against his word. Number three, God can't allow sin into heaven. You're fussing about things you can't do. You got to be thankful for things you can't do. I'm thankful God can't lie. How about you? I'm thankful there's things God can't do. I'm thankful God can't go against his word. Amen. I'm thankful God can't allow sin into heaven. It wouldn't be heaven. Listen, there is a defense. There is a, there is a protection. There is a help that we get from the Lord and a deliverance from the things of evil that are around us. Verse 10, it talks about the delight. When wisdom entereth into thine heart and knowledge is pleasant to thy soul. Listen, do you delight in the preaching? I understand Brother Perkins is harsh. I understand Perkins is direct. I understand you may not like this as much as good old Pastor Brooks. Yeah. Amen. That's part of my job, though, to make you love him more. <laughs> Amen. 
And there's a lot of ways I can do that. Number one, just get closer to Jesus. You'll love him more. It's not about the style of preaching. Amen. But the fact of the matter is, when you come to the church, do you, do you delight? Sunday school class, do you delight? in the, What are we learning this week? I want to learn. Oh, yes. This, do you delight in your Bible? Do you delight in receiving those things? Listen, when the entering of the Word of God is pleasant, oh, yes. No, no, no. We play video games in junk and go, oh, yes. Really? The next level of what? Angry birds or something stupid? Listen, we delight in so much stupid stuff out there. My team won. So what? I like football as much as the next guy. I watch college football. Y'all know. And I watched Georgia win yesterday, and I liked it. Amen. Talk to a preacher about it today. Real spiritual conversation over lunch. Amen. <laughs> But I'm just telling you, I don't delight in that as much as preaching. I don't delight in that as much as the Word of God. That's like, oh yeah, you know, come or go, it's there or not, whatever. But what about the Word of God? Oh yes, that's what I want. That's where it's at. Folks, there needs to be that delight. I love the Word of God. I want to receive it. you got to come with an appetite. It's hard to feed people that don't have an appetite. Anybody been sick lately? I know it's a loaded question nowadays, right? Anybody, when you're sick, you lose your appetite, huh? Yeah. You're like, oh, get that food away from me. Oh, I, don't, I can't eat that. Amen. So everybody ought to offer pastor a hazelnut coffee. Amen. <laughs> I heard about that one today. Woo, you won't like that at all. Don't. I was paying attention, brother. Oh, but, any, <laughs> but listen, listen, a lot of times when you're not well and you're not feeling well, and that sustenance is offered, ooh, I don't want it. Well, spiritually, when the sustenance is offered, it's ooh, I don't want it. What does that tell you about your spiritual condition? You're sick. You're sick. This is simple stuff, folks. But that learning, all that stuff we've allowed to come into the mind through the world has changed us. And they're like, oh, you know, I never thought about that before. Why not? This is not complicated. Y'all know I am not a complicated person. These are simple thoughts. You, most young people in here are probably smarter than I am. You could have thought about this before. Hello. Why didn't you? Well, we're being fooled. Somebody's blinding the eye of the mind, blinding our minds. There's the defense he gives, verse 11. Discretion shall preserve thee, understanding shall keep thee. There's a, there is a huge disconnect of discretion in the church of God today. People don't know what house to buy, what car to buy. Discretion in so many areas of life, discretion, discernment kind of go hand in hand in a lot of ways. And there is such a lack of it. And I watch these people who are lukewarm in church. They're in, they're out, they're, yeah, whatever, I'm here when it's convenient for me to be here. And boy, I don't know why. I keep buying a car and every car I buy is a piece of junk. Right? We know a lot of those. We're like, mm, well, you know, I don't even really choose the cars I buy. People are like, oh, you're a Ford guy. I'm like, no, I'm a God guy. Amen. And I'm not saying God likes Fords or anything. No, 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 no. I'm just saying. I owned, I've owned Subarus, amen, or whatever. It, I'm just saying I let God pick the car, not me. Why? Because discretion. It gives me defense against failure in life. 
Who wants to buy a lemon in a money pit? Well, how do I know I won't buy a lemon? Because I'm obeying God. I'm trusting in him about the car. Yes, about the car. It's not just about heaven and hell. It's about our everyday life. It's on how to raise my children. It's on how to love my wife. It's how to reach my neighbor. It's how to support my pastor and edify the brethren. It's everyday life. And the defense is a defense from failure and destruction and the garbage. We bought a house and the roof's caving in. We're, we, oh, we know these folks in the church. Oh, my goodness. They bought a house and they, oh, you, you want to talk about a money pit. And I'm like, what were you thinking buying this house? You had no business ever buying this house. It was out of their price range and it should have been below their price range. It was in such bad condition. I mean, within months of buying it, they're putting new roof, new ceilings. I mean, they had, they had ceiling joists that were cut off six inches from the supporting wall. Yeah. You know who can protect from stuff like that? This person called God. Because he doesn't want his children to get ripped off and mistreated. And he gives us discretion and discernment and defense against that stuff that wants to hurt us. And yet we're like, well, you know, well, I'll, I'll think about it. Yeah, well, pastor told us we should pray about buying a house. Okay, uh, Lord, help us to get a house fast as we possibly can. Thanks. Right, I can see that was real important to you. I can see you really don't mind a $1,000 a month mortgage and another $400 a month for the repair bills for the next 40 years. Really? Let's be wise about this, folks. There's a defense that God gives. Not only do we see when, as far as the deliverance goes, but a, a flat-out delivery in verse 12. Verse 12, to deliver thee. Can I tell you? The evil man wants to destroy us. The evil man wants to teach us the wrong way. The evil man speaketh froward things. Froward things about prideful, arrogant, not, not disobedient. Will not comply. That's froward. I will not comply. Right. I really want to do business with someone who will not comply with God. No, thank you. Why do you think we're having trouble in the Middle East? You're dealing with a culture who thinks, if I can lie to them and gain advantage, Allah is showing me favor. That is completely contradictory to everything America's ever known for its at least first 200 and some years. Now it's kind of coming over here. But anyways, and you think you can just go make treaties and talk with these people? Okay, you all going to be good, good, we're going to be good, it's all going to be good, oh good. I'm like, what are you people, idiots? They think they're stronger than you and oh, I've got them now. They don't know I'm lying to them. Oh. And they come back and go, we made a new treaty with this country over there. And I'm going, you bunch of fools. Guess what? They're going to break the treaty. And you know what? They break the treaty. How much? 100% of the time. Not some of the time. Not once in a while. All the time. Why? Because their father is a liar. And their father is the father of lies. And Americans don't have the discretion. They don't have the discernment because they've forsaken God. And we're not being delivered from the evil man that's out there. You're going to get a job. Whoo, I heard Christians, mediocre Christians. Oh, I get a job. My boss is the worst. Well, maybe you should have got a different job. Maybe if you had been walking with God, he would have led you to a different job. But since you were choosing the job, he let you go to a job that you wanted to choose. 
My dad used to say, you made your bed, now you lie in it, son. Of course, now he just say, I quit, I'm going somewhere else. There's a delivery. Delivery from what? The ways and the word. Look what it says in verse 12. He says, he says, to deliver thee from the way and from the man that speaketh. From the way and the words. You ever had someone stare at you and say something and the Lord told you, he's lying? Oh, yeah. I've had that happen a bunch of times. They are lying to me right through their teeth. Now, I'm not going to go to court and, you know, whatever, but I know the Lord said in my heart, that, that person's lying to you. Mm-hmm. You know why? Because God's going to deliver me from the words, he that speaketh forward things, from those that are going to lie to me. Oh, yeah, my grandmother only ever drove the car to church on Sundays. I promise there's no sawdust in the transmission. Amen. It's a real good car. And don't worry about that odometer not working. That just broke yesterday. <laughs> yeah, God can deliver you from that if you get real with him. Hello? How about marrying the wrong person? Hmm? I know a, I know a family today. A young lady grew up in church. Dad's a deacon. Godly folks. Sweet family. Like anyone else, they got troubles. But then comes along Mr. Superhero. Mr. Superhero swoops in and she goes, Oh, he listens to me. He must love me. <laughs> and dad says, You stay away from him. He's no good for you. Well, I don't know. So how about, how about when he tells you to go against dad and come see me anyways? Oh, he must be a really good guy. That love must be for, it's so strong. Yeah, the wickedness is so strong. You're right. Goes against dad to go to the pastor. The pastor says, no, no, no. This guy is no good for you. You stay away from him. He's not the one for you. And by the way, lest you think, again, it's just a bunch of, oh, it's a bunch of, the, no, no. We're talking about a dad that prayed and fasted and a pastor that prayed and fasted, and God told him, this is not the right one. We can see the legacy he's already starting to live. We hear the words of the froward. We see the actions. You're young, you can't discern it. You're still simple. Stay away. Nope. She had a call to missions on her life. She married anyways. Eleven kids later, they've never been to the mission field. They tried to get right with God. Then their daughter got called to missions. It's amazing how the sins follow you. Daughter got called to missions and fell in love with another boy. Oh, he's the one. And he said, oh, uh, wait, I can't marry your daughter unless I'm called to be a missionary? Oh, yes, I'm called to be a missionary. And they got married. Dad, even the backslid rat dad that stole the girl in the first place was at least bright enough by this time to go, oh, no, 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 sweetie, this isn't the man. Mama said, no, 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 this isn't the man. The pastor said, no, 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 this isn't the man they married anyways. They're not on the mission field today. So much for God's calling on your life. So much for being delivered from he that speaketh forward things. Hmm? Can I tell you something? You better be careful, folks. 
We can leave a legacy of deliverance for our children and our grandchildren and those around us. And they can see how God delivers and protects and provides and makes a way. And you don't fall into the garbage deals and you don't fall into the bad things. And you don't wind up with this skeletons in your closet so big you're going to put an addition on the house to fit more skeletons in the closet. And he can deliver you from all that stuff if we would just submit and walk in his way. By the way, some of you still on the fence about it. I challenge you, try it. It's spiritual warfare that's so hard and so real, most won't even have the courage to even try. They won't even try. No, they'll try God under their circumstances. You can't create God in your own image. God doesn't, God doesn't whistle to your tune. We see the danger in verses 13 through 19. We leave the, who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice to do evil, delight in the frowardness of the wicked. They delight. Look at the world. They delight. They delight in utter rebellion to God. They delight in it. Is that the legacy we want to leave? Is that the path we want to follow? Well, no, Brother Perkins, no. We just want to leave a legacy of a little bit of rebellion to God. Mostly obedience, but just a little bit of rebellion. I had a pastor look at, uh, no, I'm sorry. I have a friend, and I know both pastors, but anyways, this other man that I know, he looked at a friend of mine and said, a little bitterness isn't that, that bad. Like, this guy's a pastor of a church, yeah. A little bit of little bit of bitter. He is going through issues. He's like, brother, look, we got to talk. I mean, and he's like, these people, these people, it's always the, listen, he pastored a church of 300. Now, now they're less than 30 in less than a couple of years because a little bit of bitterness isn't that bad. This guy was a missionary to Wales. This guy's led hundreds to the Lord. This guy's served God for decades. But he's just got a little bit of forwardness in there. Just a little bit of rebellion to God in there. Mostly good though. Who wants to go join that church, amen? No thanks. Don't want nothing to do with you. But yet we sit here and we come to church and we go, oh, just a little bit, just a little bit, just a little bit, just a little bit. No, you got to put that old nature on the altar and say, God, kill the old man. God, all the desires, all the flesh, all that, all that old man, old nature junk that is in rebellion and against you, destroy it, please. And we've got to keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it. And we've got to rise up and live unto God. The danger is a departure. In verse 13, he talks about the departure. Look at this. Who leave the paths of uprightness. How many people that came to church and they learned the paths of righteousness. Young people grew up in church. They knew the paths of righteousness. And what's the danger? The departure. They leave the paths of righteousness. Listen, there is pleasure in sin for a season. That's what the Bible says. Moses chose rather to suffer the affliction of the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. God says, oh yeah, there's pleasure in sin. It wouldn't be sin or wouldn't be tempting if it wasn't pleasure. Right? There's pleasure in it. No one's arguing that. That's where the challenge comes in. Say no to the pleasure. Hello. Say no to the pleasure. <gasps> Why? Because if you don't, you're going to depart. You're going to depart. And that's the danger in the churches. People just depart out of the church. 
They're gone. Well, what happened? He come back next year. Well, hey, hey, what happened to that person who sat over there? Oh, well, they, they left the church. Why'd they leave? Well, they got a belly button. I say that because I hate excuses because one excuse is good as the next because they're all excuses. Whatever. The preacher didn't have the right tone of voice. The carpet wasn't the right color. They didn't sing the right songs. I didn't like the way they took communion. I don't care. I got a belly button. Whatever. One excuse is good as the next, folks. Excuses are stupid. Hello. Why'd you get a divorce? We fell out of love. No, you willingly chose to stop loving. You don't fall out of love. You willingly, consciously, purposefully chose to stop loving. Because you think love is something you get, something you feel. Love is an action. Love is the willing sacrificial giving of oneself for the benefit of another without thought or return. That's, right. That's what love is. You don't fall out of that. You stop doing that. Right. Amen. Yeah. There's an there's a old evangelist, doesn't preach much around anymore. And uh, he, he happens to support our ministry. But his first wife died in childbirth. His second wife she contracted uh, bacterial meningitis when they were on a trip to Israel. He changed her diapers for 20 years. Over 20 years, he changed her diapers. He had to put her food in a blender and feed her with a spoon like a baby for 20 years. For 20 years, he never once come home from work and heard, I love you, honey. He never once come home from preaching out and said, that was a good message. Never once heard that for 20 years. She was a vegetable. I challenge young people this. I learned so much about love and marriage and what marriage and love ought to be that, listen, young people, you're thinking about getting married today. If you knew today on the honeymoon, they'd be a quadriplegic and you'd have to change their diapers. If you knew it today, would you still say I do at the altar? If you hesitate on that answer, you ought to hesitate on that wedding. Love isn't about anything you get. It's all about what you give. And there's a whole bunch of people think it's all about what I get. They have not understood to be delivered from the froward man and the froward words and speaking froward things. And they've departed from the truth of the word of God and they've fallen into that danger area and they've departed out from what God's plan is. America's departed from what marriage is. I didn't show, I think I didn't even have it on the slides, but that same slide thing about marriage, it astounded me when I did that first conference with those slides in 2015, Webster's definition of marriage was still biblical. It said one man, one woman, one life. In 2015, I don't know what it said in 16, but you're talking just six years ago, even the world thought one man, one woman, one life, they've departed. There's a danger in the, in the departure. There's also the danger of the damage that can be done. 14 through 17, who rejoice to do evil. I remember... I remember when I gave my life back to the Lord. I don't know if there's few people that have had as much shame as I've, as I've had to experience in my life. As a high school student, I wrote for my goals in life in my senior yearbook to go to college and make mom and dad proud. And less than a year after I wrote that, I was a drunkard. 
The devil didn't want to just slow me down. The devil didn't want to just keep me from it. The devil wanted to destroy my life. And he worked overtime trying to destroy my life. Let me just tell you, I lived out there the way I live right here. Some of you people out there, you've been out there to the parties and stuff. This is how I was out there. I was wicked. And I was full throttle, full time. Why? Because I departed from the truth and I didn't realize the damage that could be done. And I wasn't thinking about the heritage I was leaving behind and the foundation I was building for the rest of my life. You see the damage. He goes through all these verses whose ways are crooked and they froward in their past to deliver thee from the strange woman even from the stranger which flattereth with her words. Oh, it sounds like it makes sense to me. Well, it sounds like it makes sense to me. I've heard of that a lot in counseling, people doing wrong. Well, but doesn't this kind of make sense? I have people come up to me and ask me, well, Brother Steve, you know, I, I'm, I got this problem with the sin of my life, but, and they don't say it that way. They say some specific thing. And but doesn't this make sense? No, it doesn't make any sense at all. Why? Because I'm looking at it through the biblical glasses. I'm looking at it through the Bible glasses, not my glasses, not these things, and not this thing. Not man's wisdom, not my understanding, but what the Word of God says. And I know God says that's wrong. You can't change that. God says fornication's wrong. God says shacking up's wrong. You can't make it right. The majority doesn't make it right. God says pornography is wrong. God says lusting after woman's wrong. God says it's sin. God says it's fornication and adultery. God says just thinking it in your heart, you're guilty. Read the scripture. I didn't write it. He did. It's an epidemic in our country and even in our churches today. And it's far doing far more damage than COVID ever thought of doing. Hello. Hey, listen. I don't think y'all are understanding it. Some of you in here aren't getting it. The pornography industry that's out there, why do you think there's human trafficking going on? That garbage you're looking at, that's somebody's daughter. That's somebody's little girl who's living in a four-by-four cell, horrified every day of her life. So you can look at those videos with lust. You ought to be ashamed and putrefied at yourself. You ought to be disgusted to sit in the same room with yourself. That stuff is vile, and it is destroying young ladies and girls and children's lives all across the world, and it's all over our phones and on our feeds. It's all over it, and we don't think much of it at all. We don't realize the damage, and the legacy you're leaving behind, you reap what you sow. Be careful. You're sowing awful heavy into the wrong things. Just imagine what you're going to reap. The death in 18 and 19. For her house inclineth unto death. You know, that came up this morning in chapter 1 too. Her paths unto the dead. America loves death today. Oh, what is that stuff they watch? Uh, Oh, yeah. The living dead. Some of you watch that garbage. 
Hello. You watch the living dead stuff, you're an idiot. Don't call yourself a Christian. Please. You're an embarrassment. You got no idea what you're playing with. You watch that garbage, you're a fool. Try reading the word of God. Her path inclines unto death. Satan is dead. God is alive. The Christian has everlasting life. God is about life. Satan is about death. You're watching. Why do you think? Why do you think someone might want the masses to get comfortable with death and the dead and all that stuff? So your children can be happy? So your family can be strong? So your community can be great? No. So when them vials are open and the demons start pouring out on this earth, like, oh, yes, yeah, like we saw in the movies. Oh, this is great. And God's judgment starts coming. They're not even going to have a fear against it. And then you're going to have battles like Armageddon and stuff going on. And we're like, well, how can this stuff even happen? We've been watching movies of this stuff for years now. This is all cool. We don't mind it. And by the way, I brought it up on the mountain, but I didn't get too in involved with it. Some of you think Harry Potter's wrong, but then you, then you turn around and think that Marvel's great. You think there's less sorcery in Marvel than there is Harry Potter? I've seen the advertisements, and I've seen some of the movies, and I'm like, well, this one isn't no good. No, this ain't no good. Mm-mm. And I realize what's on that movie, and that's a bunch of sorcery and witchcraft. Huh? Oh, yeah. But Harry Potter, that stuff, well, we don't, we don't do that stuff. By the way, if you do, it's wrong too. Hello? Hello? It's the vampire one that people read in the churches. Twilight? There's all kinds of them out there. Vampirism. Why on earth would a child of light be interested in vampires, walking dead, and sorcery. Can you show me any reasoning, any logic at all that would be like, oh, oh wait, I know. We talked about this up there too. <clears throat> it's not wrong. Well, it's not wrong. Mm, right, that's the great wise argument of the sinner in the backslid. Well, it's not wrong. Yeah. Actually, it is wrong. It is wrong. And you try having a prayer meeting before you watch that movie next time and say, your God, I pray you just abundantly bless all the actors in this movie. Just bless their lives and shine your grace upon them. And Father, would you just please bless the directors and the producers and all of the hands that are involved with the movie. God, would you just please shower your blessings on their lives. It, and think, well, no, that would be kind of awkward, right? Because it's wicked. And you wouldn't ask God to bless Satan. But you let Satan into your home and let your kids see it, and you're building a legacy and a heritage. And what's going to become of us? Verses 20 and 22, the diligence. Last two verses, three more thoughts were done. The diligence, he says that thou mayest walk in the way of good men. And I tell you, there's a way good men ought to walk. It used to be more commonly known in America 
Today what we call good is evil and evil is good. So the way of a good man is now skewed. I mean, that's why I pray for my daughters and feel bad for most young ladies out there. Like the level of expectation and the standard of, of males has like gone into the basement. Why? Because there ain't many good ones left. I'd rather hunt for a needle in a whole hayfield of haystacks than try to find a good man in America today. It's going to take diligence to walk in the way of good men. Good men don't walk in the way on Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, and Wednesday nights, and when the youth group meets. Good men walk in that way every day of their lives. Every day of their lives. Every evening, at work, on the way to work, on the way home, they always walk in that way. That's their manner of life. They do the right things. They make the hard choices. We don't see that a lot. There's a direction they walk in, and that's the way of the good men. They keep the paths of righteousness. Oh, you're one of those holier than thou. Well, actually, God is holier than all. And he didn't say, hey, be ye kind of good because I'm kind of good. He commanded me, be ye holy because I am holy. Unlike what the box church down the road says, you know, just try to be the best you you can be. No, God says you be like Christ. God commands you to be holy because he's holy. It's a command, not even a suggestion nor a recommendation. It's a command. So how can you be holy if you're not walking in the paths of righteousness? Well, how do I know the paths of righteousness? There's a map right here. It's called the B-I-B-L-E, Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth. It's right there. And it's a map, and it shows you the way of the righteous. And if you're still confused, but so like what? I'm supposed to build a tabernacle? And No, why don't you just start with the life of Christ and try to be like Jesus? How about you just start right there? Huh? That would be the way of righteousness. What's his testimony? He went about doing good. What does that mean? He didn't lie to people. He didn't cheat people. He didn't deceive people. Hmm? Said, I do always those things that please the Father. Amen. You think Jesus wants to watch that movie? Think it pleases the Father? No. You're departing from the paths of righteousness. You're not being diligent in that walk. If we're going to be diligent, we got to stay on the paths of righteousness. we got to stay on the right path. Church, I'm telling you here today, showing up at a corporate meeting, it's commanded, it's, it's blessed, it's good, but it's not the crescendo and the apex of what it's all about. This is just like a side note. This is like, I don't know, the dessert. This is the Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night special meetings. That's just like desserts and treats we get. The real meal, the real Christian life is what you do outside of this place. We can all come in here and put a tie on or comb our hair right or whatever and look the part and go, oh yeah, I'm a good Christian. That doesn't mean anything. What are you outside these walls? It's easy to be a light in the lighting section. Had a preacher come down to our church in Mississippi and preach on that. He says, you go to Lowe's and it's like there's lights there. You're like, I don't even know what light to do. They all look great. Yeah, it's easy to be a light in the lighting section. 
be a light in the dark world. Try to shine the same out there as you do in here. Hello. Then you're going to look odd. Right, because God called you to be a peculiar people. Huh? Not a passive people. Oh, America's great danger. Hmm. I don't know why he brought this up. I've shared this quite a bit recently. I'm only 47 years old. So I was, I was six years old when Ronald Reagan was elected president. I was a child. I remember when Ronald Reagan died, I cried. I wept. That's how much impact that guy had on me. So I don't want you to misunderstand me. I think he's a great president. I don't know if he was godly or anything, whatever. But I think he's a great president. But one of the worst things ever happened in America was his presidency. Because it was during his presidency we heard this phrase coined, the silent majority. Anybody hear that? Anybody remember that? Oh, we had it all the way through Bush Sr. We had it through Clinton. Oh, surely Clinton will lose. Clinton, the man, amen. <laughs> Hubby. Uh, surely he'll lose because we have the silent majority. Eh. Well, he'll lose the second time because we have the silent majority. Eh. Well, then we got Bush. It must be because the silent majority. And we hung on to that thing. You notice you don't hear much about it anymore. Can you show me in scripture where God calls his children to be silent? I hear it say, lift up thy voice, cry aloud, spare not, set a trumpet to thy mouth, show my people their sin. How can you go into all the world and preach the gospel with a silent majority? Silent majority is idiotic and foolish. Silent majority is wicked and sinful and Satan's laughing all the way to hell about the silent majority. We learn how to just, well, I don't want to rock the boat Christianity and I don't want to upset the neighbor's Christianity. I said it this morning and I say it often. The world couldn't get along with the holiest man that ever lived. They killed him. But they get along with you and I just fine. You know why? Because we are so wicked and vile. Oh, not compared to the wicked and the vile of the world. We like to do that comparing one, one amongst the other, right? I mean, I'm not as bad as Brother Ken after all. I was going to preach again about sending pictures on a text. <laughs> Who are you comparing yourself with? I'm telling you, folks, we're not supposed to be a silent majority. We're supposed to be a loud minority. I was sharing, I think, with preacher this morning. You realize the sodomites are the minority in America? Did you realize pro-abortion is the minority in America? Hmm? Yeah. Did you realize critical race theory is the minority in America? Yeah. You realize all Antifa? You realize they're the minority in America? You know why they're so big and growing so much? Because they're smarter than the Baptists. They're smarter than the Christians. They know if you want to advance the cause, you don't stay silent. We sit in our little cathedrals and our cushioned pews. And we don't, well, you know, it's guys like that, Brother Perkins. It's his job to go evangelize the world, right? No, it's yours. It's yours. We've got to stay right, walk in the paths of righteousness. 
that's going to mean speaking up. There's a direction that's toward God. That's the paths of righteousness. Verse 21 is the dwelling. For the upright shall dwell in the land and the perfect shall remain in it. Listen, he was talking about Canaan land. He was talking about Israel's promised land. But we know this in scripture for the New Testament Christian in the church. That's a picture of the victorious Christian life. They crossed Jordan into Canaan. That's a picture of stepping into the victorious Christian life where God wants us to be. And listen, we can dwell in the place of victory. The problem with most Christians and most people who are trying God and we're trying that church thing is either they're not born again or number two, they're just fighting to get the victory in areas of their life. I don't need to fight for victory. I need to fight in victory. I'm already on the winning side. My God's already won. Jesus is alive. He rose from the dead. He proved it. It's settled. Boom, I'm on. I'm victorious, and this is the victory in which they overcome the world, even their faith. All I do is exercise my faith, and I dwell in victory. But so many are just struggling for victory. I'm just trying to get victory in this area of my life because you just won't surrender and live by faith. You just won't give it up to God and just go by faith. You're fighting. We can dwell. We can dwell in the promised land. There's something that Christians... If you ever tasted it, you wouldn't want to ever go back. And you're right on the edge of it. But you're saying, you know, there's giants in the land. And I'm like a grasshopper in their eyes. I'm so weak. I just can't do it. You're right. You're right. You are weak. That's why you need the power of God on your life. You don't need the power of God on your life to have a, to have a good marriage. You don't need the power of God on your life to stay away from drugs. Listen, listen to me. We're looking at the power of God all wrong. Lost people can abstain from alcohol. Lost people can be drunks and get off of alcohol without God. Lost people can have good marriages. You don't need the power of God for those things. You need the power of God to live in Canaan. You need the power of God on your life to live the victorious Christian life. You need the power of God on your life to dwell where God wants you to dwell and be in his will every day in every moment of our lives. That's why we need the power of God on our lives. And we sit back and we just want it because we want some easy life. Can I get some power of God so it can help me with my family, help me raise my kids? I like old cars. You ever seen Goodwood racing over in England? I love that stuff. I love them old 1963s. I don't, I don't even care what, who made them. But I was watching one time, and I couldn't believe this. I forget what year. It's like a 1960-something Ferrari. And it was a bread delivery van made by Ferrari. Check it out online. It's the goofiest looking Ferrari you ever seen in your life. It's a station wagon. I'm like, who in their right mind would deliver bread with a Ferrari? Right? I'm like, Ferrari's for racing, man. Woohoo! No, we're gonna, we got a bakery. We gotta deliver the bread. Let's buy a Ferrari. Like, who even makes this decision? I don't know why they designed it, why they made it, but it exists. Look it up. I mean, it's just crazy makes me think of most Christians. We need the power of God so I can have a good day at work. We need the power of God so I can pay my bills. 
And what about dwelling in the promised land? And what about leading people to Christ? And what about bringing visitors in? And what about leaving a legacy to your children? And what about learning more about the Word of God and, and, and growing in grace and knowledge? And, 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 and what about becoming the father that God wants you to be and the mother that God wants you to be and the grandparents that God wants you to be? What about those things? See? We come to the church. We love the pastor. We love the church family. We pray for one another. We love it. And then we go deliver bread with it. And we got this nice, better than a Ferrari. And we're delivering bread with it. When you could be winning races, you could be winning all the races in life. You'd be winning all the battles. You could have victory over that garbage you're looking at on your phone and on your computer. You could have victory over that bitterness and that anger that you got lingering in your life. You could have bitter, uh, victory over those things. But instead, we're just playing games. Verse 22 speaks of the destruction but the wicked shall be cut off from the earth and the transgressor shall be rooted out of it. And I tell you something, we're letting people influence our lives and one day you're gonna see they're gonna get cut off from the earth. You're gonna realize those producers of the movies, the music, the influencers on the social media, all of a sudden they're gonna just get cut off. And God's gonna show us the right things in the right way. Friend, in all this, the decisions we make, the paths we choose to go in, where we're going to dwell, what legacy are you leaving behind? Are you satisfied with the status quo? Or do you want something more? Nothing about God is status quo. Nothingness. You could have so much more. It begins with salvation but it only begins with salvation. That's just the start, not the finish. And then it goes from there. Where do you want your family to be in five years from now? Where do you want your marriage to be? Grandparents, where do you want your grandkids to be five years from now? You're making the choices now that are going to impact that how much you pray, how much you obey, how much you read, how much you hide in your heart, how much you witness, how much you testify, how much you share with them of all the answered prayer God's had given. That's all going to impact them. Two, three, four, five years, it's going to impact them. There's something we're leaving behind. My fear is I won't leave behind what's good enough. My fear is I won't leave behind what God wants me to leave behind. My fear is I'll only leave behind what Steve could do, what Steve was able to do. When God knows and I know, there could be so much more. Father, help us. Lord, to realize what we're leaving behind. Lord, some may be making efforts and they're trying to do the right. God, I pray to help them, bless them, strengthen them. Lord, help them to live by your word, to do the right, to stay faithful, to dwell with you, to stay away from the danger. God, help the people in this auditorium this evening to not depart from the truth, 
depart from your way. God, show us where there's things in our home, in our lives, on our phones, on our computers, on our smart TVs that are against you, against your word. You want them gone. God, I pray you'd give some of the folks in this auditorium tonight the courage they need and the faith they need and the strength they need to get rid of it. And God, I pray you'd help us, Lord. And if there's one here tonight that does not know Christ as their Savior, Father, perhaps they've played religion and played church, and they've come and they've sat on the outside and said, well, I've tried it. And God, help them to see you can't try. It's a surrender. And that's all it is. It's putting our faith and trust in you. Father, I pray you'd save the soul closest to hell tonight. And God, I pray you'd work in our homes and our hearts and in this church family. And we'll thank you for all you do in Jesus' name. Amen.